Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of the show. This is the Brown Vegan Podcast. I'm Monique, and I enjoy interviewing guests about veganism, overall wellness, and vegan entrepreneurship. This is truly a lifestyle podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment and leave a review to help others find us. You can leave a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Also, come hang out with me on YouTube. I'm Brown Vegan over there for recipes and vegan tips. And as always, you can get the show notes and everything we mentioned in this episode at brownvegan.com. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. So I do want to know how you're doing, because I feel like over the last, man, what, five years or so, so much has happened in your life on personal as far as and business. So I just want to know how you're doing overall. I'm doing pretty good. You know, uh, I think especially as women, we become incredibly resistant or not resistant, resilient. So, you know, you learn how to pick up some things along the way and it's pretty good right now. I'm in my new apartment after my most recent breakup and it feels pretty good to have my own space with just me and my dogs. Nice. So you're still in Toronto, right? I am. Yes. How do you, did you grow up in Canada? So that's a long story. Uh (laughs) So I actually grew up in Germany. Mm -hmm. I lived there for the first few years of my life. And my mother's German, my dad is Canadian, and he was in the military. So then when I was pretty young, we moved to Canada and we kind of did like a back and forth moving there, moving back to Canada, moving back to Germany for a while. And I've been here since then. So I guess since I've been, I want to say like eight or nine, I've been here in Canada, um, but living outside of Ottawa. And then I went to school in Kingston, which is a couple hours outside of Ottawa. And uh, now I've been in Toronto for 12 years. Okay, cool, cool. I feel like because y'all are our not little na- y'all not little neighbors, but y'all are our neighbors that when I went to Toronto for work a few years ago, I felt like it was very much like America. Am I, <laughs> am I overstepping in that? Because it felt like it when I was there. Uh, I mean, it, a lot of things are very similar. I mean, obviously there's some like pretty big differences too, but in terms of like city to city, I think, yeah, roughly- yeah, very similar. I mean, we're a big country though. So yeah, yeah. it's kind of hard to, yeah. See, the diff- <laughs> I think the main difference is that we are also a big country, but we have a lot of like land that isn't lived on. Like we have a lot of natural resources, a lot of mountains. Um, so all of our cities are kind of spread out and then in little clusters as well. Yeah. So what was your relationship with food like um, as a child? Did you eat a lot of variety? Did you grow up in a household where it was a lot of fast food? Like, what was that like for you? 
I actually grew up in a really unique um, experience in that my mother had a, she was actually a plant-based friend in the 80s. And my mother's a Seventh-day Adventist. So I don't know if you know much about yes. the religion. Yeah. So, yeah. but they, they encourage a plant-based lifestyle. So we were mostly vegetarian. Um, essentially, we followed the rules of the meat that you could eat in the Bible. But mostly it was, it was really just chicken. That <laughs> 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 was really the only meat that I ate growing up in my mom's place. Um, my parents were divorced when I was four. So my dad would eat meat, but it was... He was a single dad, so it wasn't so much fast food because he was a bit of a food snob himself, but he definitely ate meat. Um, but I never grew up eating any sort of pork or anything. But because of my mom's religious and kind of the emphasis or religion and the emphasis on the health of it all, she, let, let, I'll say it this way she wasn't a great cook <laughs> because it was no sugar, no fat, no salt. But definitely it had that kind of vegetarian-esque side to it. So it was definitely a unique experience. And everybody else in my family was a great cook. Like my grandparents were amazing cooks. So I grew up with everybody else cooking really great food. And then my mom's kind of like, oh. <laughs> Your mom was probably more of a I just have to cook for survival, not necessarily passion. Yes. Everything was kind of green or, or beige, like a lot of millet. <laughs> um, you know, I was eating wow. safe. Yeah, I was eating seitan, although she just called it gluten back then. And in the church, they had this, they called it like the bookmobile. And there were all these weird vegetarian foods that people from the church would go eat. So I remember eating like veggie dogs in the early 90s, but they look like, you know, the end of a pencil eraser. Mm. <laughs> they were like that color pink. <laughs> Yeah. And kind of smelled like that too. <laughs> so, <laughs> not smelling like pink, but I know like a rubber. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wait, so you had uh, a lot of the alternatives back when they weren't good. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was. I mean, I think I also just, it was just normal for me at that point, but I could, I just knew that it wasn't great. <laughs> yeah. You were like, yeah. I can do better than with this if I try when I got older. So how did that change? Like, what made you decide to become a vegan? It sounds like, of course, you had uh, a foundation for sure, but wouldn't led you to think, okay, this is something that I want to do with my life. Yeah, it was a couple of different, yeah, mm -hmm. different things. I had really bad migraines as a kid, mm -hmm. like really, really bad. And we tried everything. I mean, they would go on for three days at a time. I would have to sit in like a dark room, uh, you know, the the shutters drawn, a lot of like crying. It was really traumatic actually. Mm. And we tried everything. And I, like I said, I grew up in Germany. So naturopathic and homeopathic medicines were, are still are like a very, they're kind of considered the same as like traditional medicine. And after trying everything traditionally, my grandmother took me to see her homeopathic doctor and he suggested I cut out animal protein. And just kind of see what happens. Dairy was the big thing. And after cutting out dairy, I started noticing a pretty huge difference in the frequency of my migraines. Uh, and it just kind of started there. So I noticed um, I had a couple of skin conditions as well. I had pretty bad acne as a teenager. Oh, wow. And all of that started to clear up. My migraines started to become less frequent. And I had lived in Toronto at this time. This is when I first moved to Toronto. I was like, okay, there's something to this. And of course... With the internet, the more I was trying to figure out 
how to cook without dairy, the more I was coming across vegan articles, recipes online. And I was taking the subway one day and we have this association called the Toronto Vegetarian Association. And they have these posters all around the city, or at least they did at the time. And there was a poster that had a cat on one side and a pig on the other. And it said, why love one and eat another? And it just kind of, it it like really stuck with me. Like it clicked for the first time. And I was already mostly vegetarian anyway. I was not eating any dairy. And I was like, you know what? So true. (laughs) And that's kind of what sparked it. And then, you know, back then I was very into all the horrible things that you could watch to make you go vegan. And after watching a couple of those, I never looked back. It just, it, it clicked for me. It didn't make sense. After I saw what I saw, I couldn't unsee it. So that was mm-hmm. how the journey started. So how about how old were you at that time? So it's teenage years, it sounds like. Uh, I, so 12 years ago, yeah, I was about like 20, 22. Oh, okay. So yeah, yeah. yeah adult, yeah. 21, so- 22. Okay. Now, because you mentioned that your mom wasn't the best cook, did it inspire you to want to be a better cook because you knew that you didn't want the uh, pencil eraser hot dogs? (laughs) Yes. Well, I started cooking when I was really young because my mom was a single mom and I was the eldest daughter. So she was working like three really crappy jobs um, and wasn't home a lot. So I started cooking for my sisters and that's kind of how it started and became this thing where (laughs) when my mom was home, my sisters and I would be like, oh, you know, why don't you relax and let Candace cook? <laughs> like, not tonight, mom. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's kind of how it started. So uh, I would take recipes that my grandmother, that I loved eating when my grandmother was around when we were living in Germany. And I started just doing those. And I, my mom had a lot of cookbooks. So I started teaching myself how to cook from the cookbooks. And then when I went vegan, it was taking all the all the knowledge and all the recipes that I loved making for myself and for my sisters and just adapting them. That was a big thing when I went vegan. I was like, listen, I love good food. I've had enough terrible food in my life. If I'm going to do this, I need to know how to cook properly. So I was taking the recipes and just adapting them. And that's how the edgy veg essentially started. Cool. So when you mentioned um, cooking for your siblings, it reminded me of when I was younger and I would like to cook for my sisters as well. And we would, I actually had like this little fake cooking show that I had going on. So it only makes sense that I'm on YouTube. Did you do the same thing? (laughs) That's so cute. Uh, No, I didn't have a fake little cooking show, but like, I just love the progression of that (laughs) to YouTube for you. That's amazing. I know, it's crazy. And I had a fake radio show too when I was a kid. You know, I would record. Remember back in the day, we had the Blake tape that we will record yeah so that's yes funny. hell yes i do remember that that's something i did do listen mm-hmm. you knew exactly what you were doing <laughs> at a young age you knew <laughs> i guess so i guess so. okay so what are some of your favorite meals as someone who cooks a lot who shares a lot online what are some of your go-to because i know as somebody who also cooks that as far as for content and for work that is sometimes different than the food that we actually eat so what are some of your go-to meals as far as at home doing your own thing with you and your pup yeah for me it's a lot of italian food honestly i it's kind of, it's a lot of italian food and then actually repurposing a lot of comfort not not comfort foods convenience foods because it's just me right cooking for one Mm -hmm. is hard so I'll take you know typical convenience foods whether it's like box foods or um, frozen food or whatever and just like 
you know, make it fancy, if you will. Yeah. One of my go-tos is like, you know, ramen noodles that I will take and I'll take the ramen noodles in the packet and I'll make the broth, but I'll add some miso to that and I'll, I'll throw tons of vegetables in there, whether it's, you know, greens like spinach, kale, or bok choy, which I always have in my fridge. And then, you know, some edamame or some corn, mushrooms. I'll add um, some tofu into that. So taking those types of foods and just elevating them. And then the other side of it is I... I went to Italy a lot when I was younger and living in Germany. That's where we would go vacation in the summer. So Italian food just really has, you know, a, a draw on my heartstrings. It's very sentimental for me. And pasta, I mean, man, I could eat pasta every day with different types of sauces. So a lot of like pesto, I love like a really good creamy mushroom sauce, a classic pomodoro, you know, just like three ingredients, just classic, really good, high quality ingredients. I would say those are probably my go-tos because they're easy to make for one person. <laughs> you know, interesting though, Candace. I remember when I first started my journey, um, I felt like a lot of the content was geared to, vegan content was geared to people who were single. So it's interesting that you say it's hard to cook for single because in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, I can just cook something and eat on it for like three days if I was didn't have any kids or anything. So I find that very interesting that it seemed like it would be a struggle to, because I'm like, that's the easiest thing in the world. I don't have to think about food as much. I cook something and I have leftovers. Yep. You know what? That's definitely true too. I think the way that I had trouble wrapping my head around it was that I, especially when I cook for the YouTube channel or for Instagram, you know, I have to cook like the four portions all the time Yeah, because it, you know, people don't generally like to see small portions of food on video. And I think that it, I was just always so used to cooking. I mean, there was five kids in the house where I grew up. So I was always just used to cooking volumes of food. So cooking for one, I just was like, oh my God, there's so much food that's going to waste. Yeah. Now, luckily, I mean, I have a crew of people that take all the food home, which is great. <laughs> oh, wow. We have to talk about all of that because I want to know what made you decide to start your YouTube channel. I feel like we probably started around the same time, I feel like. I think so, yeah. I feel like we did. So what, what made you decide that you wanted to go in that direction, especially back then when everyone was blogging? It, people weren't really doing YouTube when we started, I feel like. They were, but not like they are now. Yeah, but you know who was doing YouTube? It was like Freely and all the raw videos. Oh, God. Uh, right? So there wasn't like, I mean, I'm sure there was here and there. They were just hard they didn't to get find. The, they didn't get the love though. So we didn't see them. Exactly. Yeah, everybody wasn't loving them because they weren't, you know. It was all like healthy, 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 rah, 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 rah. And I was like, this is not how you eat in Canada where it's cold eight months out of the year. Mm -hmm. uh, and it just was, it was so foreign to me. I was like, no wonder people can't continue eating vegan if this is the only content that's like in front of your face. Yeah. So while I was doing the blog. I was like, there's a, there's a hole here. <laughs> there's a hole in the market of vegan food. And listen, I just want a soup in the winter. So that's kind of how it started. It just, it, it was so unreasonable to me to tell people that you're vegan and then have them be like, cool, send me a couple videos or recipes. And then that's all we had. <laughs> yeah. Um, and like, listen, like if, if you love eating raw food, go for it. If that works for you, it just, it was not reasonable for me as someone who lives in a cold ass climate. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I just started vegan, like I said, veganizing my favorite foods and throwing them up there. And, you know, the other day I was doing an interview and someone was like, have you gone back and watched like your first couple of videos? And I was like, oh my God, they're so bad. <laughs> so cringe. But 
yeah, that's how that's how YouTube started. There just really weren't very many people. Yeah, you're right. I feel like it was like the the raw vegans were the loudest. Um, mm-hmm. They got more of the attention. And so a lot of people who don't know anything about the way we eat, they assume that that's what we eat. And it's like, uh, well, I think I love raw food just as much as the next person. But, exactly. And I think yeah. that that's where that stereotype that we still deal with, especially online, comes from that all vegans are like super healthy. I mean, I do these, I'm sure you've seen them, these videos where it's like accidentally vegan foods and I'll go through foods that aren't labeled vegan, but just are vegan at the grocery store. Things like Twizzlers or Mr. Noodle or whatever. And the comments that I get on those videos still to this day, excuse me, are like, oh, but it's not healthy. Well, vegan has nothing to do with health. And I think that that's where that stereotype always came from, where because for so long, those were the loudest voices in the vegan space before people like you and I came around. <laughs> right. So do you, how do you feel about a lot of that pushback? Because I still feel like these days people are still saying, oh, you know, why, why do we have these alternatives? You know, why are you making crab cakes out of, you know, hearts of parts, parts of palm, or why are you doing this? You must really want to eat meat or this isn't healthy enough. I'm sure at this point you feel a lot better about it because you're used to it. But was there a time in your journey where you were just kind of like, man, this is never good enough, no matter what type of content I put out? Yeah. And you know what? To go one step further, because of what I was because of what I was doing and it was so different from what traditionally we had seen in that space, I almost ended up pigeonholing myself into this role where I wasn't vegan enough for the vegans, but mm-hmm. I was too vegan for like the average person. Yeah. So I found that to be very frustrating. But now I kind of laugh it off now and, and I take it more to a educational standpoint. You know, when people are like, it's not chicken. Why do you want to call it chicken wings? Why don't you just call it tofu skin or whatever? I, I kind of just lead, I get less frustrated <laughs> and just kind of lead from an educational standpoint, just explaining, you know, just like you, you know, I used to eat meat. And these are the foods that I loved growing up. And I didn't stop eating meat because I hate the taste of meat. I stopped eating meat because I don't, I don't want to associate my food with the, the killing of animals or the mm-hmm. torture of animals and factory farming. And, you know, I just don't agree with how we treat animals, but I don't not, I, I don't not like the taste. So creating food that's recognizable for people, food that they, you know, have, nostalgic feelings toward or have memories with, I think makes it a lot easier for them to transition into a lifestyle that isn't completely foreign to them. Exactly. So I, that, that's kind of how I, I approach that topic now because it's it's amazing how often, I mean, I'm sure you know, I'm sure you're getting the same types of comments Yeah. Or people saying, you know, don't call it chicken. Well, you know, peanut butter also isn't butter. You know what I mean? So <laughs> right. language evolves and it changes and, you know, we, we let it evolve and change everywhere else with slang and, you know, abbreviations. So why can't we do that with food? Mm-hmm. So I get less frustrated now and I just kind of laugh and, and try to educate instead. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of evolving, I feel like as far as your YouTube production and just your Instagram production and everything has, I've always felt like you had top tier content, but I can tell that you definitely have help. So like you mentioned before, I would love to talk more about what that looks like these days um, in comparison to when you first started, because I know at that time you were married and you had help that way. So yeah. What is, what is the, I guess the early days when you were just 
okay, I'm going to put some food out here that's not just raw food. I want to put some variety out here to how things look for you now as you are running your business. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely changed. I mean, when I first started, I was filming myself, but I made the decision very early on to get a really great camera. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of the thing that I think gave me the leg up when I first started was that I always had a really great camera. I invested the the money into that. You know, I like didn't eat for like a week. Oh, no. <laughs> so I could afford the camera. Yeah. But that made a huge difference and it, it made me stand out. And, uh, you know, I had partners and roommates here and there that would help me out when I was making the content. And then, like you'd said, I had then a partner that, uh, that I married and he, and he was helping me out with that. And, but even when we were married, we just couldn't work together. You know, sometimes you just can't work with your partner. And I was in this horrible, toxic relationship anyway. So like we weren't doing the basics really well. So uh-huh. working together was pretty terrible. So I ended up hiring one of my friends who would come in weekly and help me shoot. And it brought you know, happiness back into shoot days. Because before, you know, it would end up with my partner and I just yelling at each other and it was a lot of hostility and fighting and it just wasn't great. So I hired my friend and that brought happiness back into the videos again, which was great. And then when I divorced uh, my ex-husband, I kind of, he, I kind of lost everything that way. You know, I, I did have the luxury of him helping to support me because we were in a marriage and we were living in his house. And so I didn't have to pay as much rent. So I was able to take that money and spend it on people helping me. So when I moved out on my own and I didn't have that support, I had to go back to doing it on my own. Mm. But uh, one of my very close friends also was on YouTube and he was trying to transition out of being, you know, the on-camera talent and he wanted to be behind the camera. So he started helping me out and he just had this, this knack for knowing what content to make and would do well. So we started partnering that way and he came to me one day after a shoot and he was like, hey, like I'd really love to try managing you. Like what do you think? Like will you take a chance on me? And so he took a chance on me and I took a chance on him and he's my partner to this day now. He's oh, my wow. Man- yeah, he's my manager. Um, not romantic partner, business partner. I know what you mean. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. he's my manager and, and since I guess 2018 to now – He's created a full-fledged like influencer marketing agency. Wow. So, yeah. Dope. Yeah. So that. he hired his videographer friends who are who have been my videographers since 2019 now. And and I have this amazing supportive team that also happens to be my best friend. So that's kind of what that looks like now. You know, I have a I have his videographer come in every week. Sometimes he comes if we're trying something new, like the new story time and cooking videos, mm-hmm. the cook and drama sessions that we've been doing. <laughs> and it's brought happiness back into my life. And I do have two dogs. Oh, yeah, <laughs> two. What does that have one? Okay. Yeah, that you might hear as the mailman walks away here. <laughs> <laughs> so sorry about that. No, you're fine. <laughs> Uh, What are the names? (laughs) So we have Winston, who's ferociously barking right now. He's all of 10 pounds. They're both Shih Tzu mixes. And uh, Harley, she's my little blind girl. She's she's down to one eye. Oh, wow. And uh, can't really see him that one. So you might hear her bark every once in a while, too. Uh, (laughs) I love dogs that have human names. Yeah. I love that. 
Harley Quinn after Harley Quinn. Ah, and <laughs> yep. Because <laughs> she's, uh, she's a tiny little terrorist. <laughs> she's, you know, I don't know if you've had female dogs, but they have quite the personality. <laughs> yes. My one and only dog was a girl and she was something. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, yeah, back to, you know the videoing, it just, it's, it's so nice to have like a team of amazing supportive people that you can grow with. I mean, I've been with these people now since 2018, 2019. So we, everything kind of, time something gets better, it's because somebody has been like, Hey, I found out about this new thing or this new technology or like check out this new camera and we do everything together. And that, that's really nice. It's, it's really beautiful in a way. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. So of course, with your management, uh, your manager is he also working? Well, your business partner doing your sponsorships and helping you negotiate those, or is it more so just um, behind the scenes as far as like the content producing everything? No, he definitely works on the sponsorships as well. So what makes him unique to other managers is that a lot of the time when you're with like a multi-channel network or whatever, they don't help you with the production. It's mostly just negotiating sponsorships on your behalf. And even then, a lot of the time, it, unless you're a huge creator, that can be very difficult as well to get mm-hmm. their attention, right? And I had yeah. done that in the early days, and it wasn't a great experience. Mm-hmm. Been there too, girl. Been yep. <laughs> <laughs> so with him, they, him and his team, they definitely negotiate any sort of sponsorships that come in. They also have their own roster of sponsors that they work with with other creators as well. And if it works out really well, sometimes they can like be like, okay, this worked out with this creator, so... Just do this with yeah, you. Let's do yeah, let's this one and vice versa. But most of the sponsorships do come into my email and then I just kind of fire it off to them. Nice. But then they also help with the production, the editing, which, like I said, is is very it's unique. Everything. That is everything. Because you yeah. can truly just be the creative that you need to be. Yes. To, because doing everything is is for the birds. Like I that honestly is what's holding me back from being consistent again on YouTube is um I had hired an editor to help me in 2022, but it didn't make sense financially for me because it was just so expensive to have someone to do those things. And I was still, my hands were still in the process too much because she was just handling the editing. So I had to still shoot and do everything else. And it wasn't a consistent enough income stream with YouTube to make sense for me financially. So when I was going over my things, I was like, okay, I can't do that. So you definitely have a unique situation mm-hmm. by having someone that does, you know, a whole team of people that 
bringing it all together. So that way you can focus on actually creating the recipes and being yourself on camera and being the talent that you are. So I love that for you. Yeah. And it's, you know what, I have pretty severe ADHD. I talk about it a lot on my different channels and without that support, I mean, there would be weeks where like I could not motivate myself to do anything. So without that support there, I don't even know that I would be <laughs> doing right. what I'm doing. Seriously. And that was and for a while, you know, it was people were like, I don't understand why you don't just do these things yourself so that you have the money. No. Like just take the money yourself and you know, you're struggling financially. And I was like, but I can't, I can't I won't do it myself. I can't. No. Like there's the way that the ADHD brain works, you know, it, you're constantly changing or chasing dopamine. Mm-hmm. And I always tell people sometimes it feels like, you know, when they're when you're standing near a stove and the element is really hot, like you know that you can touch it, but your body won't let you. Yes. That's how sometimes it feels to do tasks with ADHD. Like I'm I, I want to do it. I know that I need to do it. I know that I can bring in like a couple grand in a sponsorship if I do it. But there's days where like I physically can't. You can't. Yeah. And paralyzed. Like a paralyzed feeling. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And so having a team in place has really helped me that way so I can still do the things that I love. And also like I don't want to be on emails all day. I'm a creative person. I want to take photos. I want to style food. I want to write recipes. Like that's what <clears> – <throat> excuse me. Mm-hmm. That's what I love to do. So yeah. You know, it, it, it allows you to be creative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you can really show up fully and have a good time. So that's what's important to me. Yeah, exactly. I get it. We got to go back because you were talking about, and I said, I've been there as far as having like being a part of YouTube agencies. Is mm-hmm. that even, do you know if that's still a thing? Because I remember being a part of one and I did make some money back in the day on it. But like you said, you didn't have like the personalized attention unless you had like a million subscribers on your YouTube channel. So do you know if those are still around? I don't think so. I mean, I think that there's a couple here and there that are, I, we have one in Toronto um, that's part of Chorus. They used to be Kin Community. Oh yes. Yeah. And they're part of chorus and but because they're part of a broadcast network, a huge Canadian broadcast network now, it's a bit different. Mm-hmm. And I know that their their model is very different. I don't think that they like take a percentage of everything anymore. I don't think that's legal. I could be wrong. Um, but I think that if they are around they're structured very differently. Yeah, I can see that. It's just crazy how we really have been able to see so much growth in all of this over the years. Because you have the team now, I know that it's it's a little different for you because what I notice about you is that you're very consistent on all of the platforms. And that makes sense because you have the team, you have the accountability to get things done. When it comes to shooting, um, I know you mentioned they'll come over like once a week, but is it usually that your, that's your schedule at this point? Or is it, of course, you guys probably have to batch record and batch everything. So what does that process look like as far as you preparing for shoot days and how many times on average a week are you shooting? Yeah. So I shoot with the team once a week, unless we have like a super busy schedule going on. I mean, around Christmas, sometimes it'll be twice a week, um, depending, you know, on how much we have to get out. Mm -hmm. But generally speaking, it's about once a week with um, one week off every four weeks um, because menstruation. Um, 
I, uh, I refuse to work when I'm on my period. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I think like women are forced to do horrible things when they have cramps and I refuse to do it. So mm-hmm. I, I take one week off of shooting. I don't take the whole week off, but like one week off of shooting, um, every month. And then I will self shoot some things throughout the week as well. So it might not be as involved as a full day where people are here at like seven o'clock in the morning and don't leave until five, but if it's like me t- tastesting like a new product or I'm doing more of like a list-based video, I'll shoot a couple of those on my own. And then I have another day that I shoot all of my photos. Um, so, so all your food photography and then any pictures you need of yourself or anything yeah, like that? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So what's your favorite platform these days? Because... I feel like I mean it's so, it used to be so simple. It used to be so simple, and now there we can ha- we have to be everywhere. I feel like so. Yep. <laughs> what, are, what is your favorite platform these days? Uh, I mean, listen, it. I have different platforms that are my favorites for different reasons to consume content. I love TikTok. Mm-hmm. I love TikTok. I just love the authenticity of it, and I hate that word. <laughs> Because everybody's trying so hard to be authentic. But I love that people just show up with no makeup on, just their feral selves. Not (laughs) feral. (laughs) Just their feral selves, you know, like in bed with like last night's makeup on, talking about God knows what. Like I love that. It makes Uh me feel like I'm on FaceTime with like my most wild and out friend. Um, So I love consuming that content. But with the content that I'm making now, I love Instagram again, and I was on an Instagram hate train for a while there, but now that I'm doing these like stories that I'm telling while I'm cooking food, the audience on Instagram is hysterical. <laughs> the comments under those videos and like the things that people share, um, I find that the comments on TikTok can be really mean sometimes. It's almost like YouTube back in the day. Oh, gosh. But yeah. on Instagram, they're a little more balanced. But I mean, I it's, the love kind of switches back and forth between Instagram and TikTok. Mm. Okay. So I want to talk about the fact, because I was really surprised when we spoke last time and you mentioned how these, how there's like this feeling of making sure, I don't even know if I'm saying this right, but how it's like more of a, people are working on making sure they're showing up as, as themselves instead of worrying about a persona because there, for a while there, especially in the early days, it kind of felt like you had to be more of a persona in order to be noticed. So what do you want to share about that as far? Because I never, I think you mentioned it, you did mention this, and I never felt like you were a persona. I always felt like you showed up as yourself. Were you talking about in general or for yourself as far as showing up as yourself and not being a persona? Uh, a little bit of both. So I felt that I had this character that I was playing. I mean, everybody on YouTube was like super bubbly and like their voices were up here. And like, mm-hmm. it was like very like super happy all the time. Everything's great. Everything's amazing. If I hear the word amazing one more time <laughs> after all I'm these so years. excited. Remember, I'm so excited. Yeah. Oh my God. I'm so excited that today's sponsor <laughs> is, you know, that type of, and, and that's just not yeah. me. Like I'm, I'm a very dry, sarcastic Person. But I always got that from you, though, Candace. I've always got that from you. Like I never felt like you were anything but that, which is amazing because that's who you are. Yeah, that's what I am. In the beginning, though, I felt like I was like very, you know, I was p- trying to play this like overly happy, almost like Valley Girl esque type of <laughs> voice that I had, and I hated it. Mm-hmm. And then after the divorce, I just kind of 
I don't know if I just like I lost the optimism of it all. So I just started being myself, which can be kind of pessimistic sometimes. But my dry sense of humor and this like sarcastic way that I approach life like really came forward and I liked it. It felt real. It felt authentic again. It didn't feel like I was playing a character and it made a lot of things easier um, in terms of making content because I, on the days where I couldn't be on, if you will, I didn't need to be. I could just be myself. Be yourself. So. Exactly. I, yeah. It's it's so sad that it feels like that. It is like a, a practice to be yourself because especially if you're someone who is, is looking at what everyone else is doing, like you said, kind of looking at the bubbliness that YouTube used to be. And I feel like we're in this era now where people really want you to show up as who you are. They don't want the the mask, you know, they want the pure energy. So I love that. that yeah. We're well, to that. Mm-hmm. And the other thing too, was that after sharing my marriage online and, you know, we had talked about our wedding a lot and after all of that kind of <laughs> went to shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know if I can swear. But. No, you can say whatever. Yeah. <laughs> no sense in here. I started closing myself off quite a bit too because I just – it's not that I was embarrassed, but there's something about being married for like less than a year that people kind of like – maybe not intentionally, but you feel like you failed. <laughs> oh. um, and it's it's kind of embarrassing, right? So I ended up sharing less about my life. And then I started sharing a bit more. And then after 2020 when – you know, everybody was so sensitive online about everything and online became a really scary place to share your actual personal opinions and personal life. I closed off again. Mm. But after a couple of years now, I feel like I'm sharing the parts of my life that I want to share and I'm, and I'm doing that in a way that makes me feel good while also, you know, of course, being myself and doing it in a way that that I think people can relate to now. But I think a lot of influencers, I don't know if this counts for yourself include or this also includes yourself but i feel like a lot of us got very closed off and it, the internet became like a really hostile and scary place for a bit but i think people are opening back up again now Candace, I feel still, I still feel closed off. <laughs> like I had this moment where I feel like I was open and now like after cuz i had such a rough 2022 that i just like i i just feel closed off so hopefully i can come back out and and feel a little better but i still feel I don't like it, but I do feel a little closed off. Like I don't really want to talk about myself and I just yeah. want everyone else to talk about themselves. And then hopefully they don't notice that I'm not talking about myself kind of thing. So I, yeah, I definitely understand what you're saying. And yeah. it's, actually, it's a weird, we're in a weird place, uh, weird place. I don't know if it's a bad thing, but I think sometimes it is good to kind of close off to figure things out and then come back stronger. So yeah. And I yeah. found that, you know, I was trying to share, I was kind of put, dipping my toes in the water here and there, being like, okay, what parts of myself do I feel comfortable sharing? And what parts of myself do people want to hear? And so with the dating stories that I've been sharing now, people are like, oh my God, we know nothing about you. Like, this is amazing. And I can share these experiences that were like pretty traumatic at the time. But like I took a Taylor Swift account and Alanis Morissette, a a note out of their books and was like, you know what? I'm going to take this these horrible things that happened or these embarrassing things that happened to me and like capitalize on my own personal trauma. Yes. <laughs> and I'm going to join you, girl. I'm going to join you. <laughs> these days. It feels so good after, you know, therapy and healing and you're mm-hmm. able to laugh at these things that happened or things that people did to you or like things that you did. Listen, there's going to be some stories about terrible things that I did because mm-hmm. we're not all amazing people. 
you know, we all make mistakes. And so finding out that that's really the thing that resonated with people, it, it's great because it, it's my story, but a lot of the time it's other people's bad behavior. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel comfortable sharing it, but also you know, I've healed from it and I can laugh at it. So. Exactly. You know, sometimes you come out of something and actually, actually, as you're going through it, you're like, there is no way in hell I will ever tell anybody about this. But then after like you heal from it, you think it's funny. So I love that. I love that you can take that as a way for people to share, you know, to get to know you and also to share your personality more. So this is, this is fun. I love that for you, that you have that, that outlet now. Yeah, it's it's a it's a lot of fun. I was a little worried at first, but none of my exes have come out of the woodwork yet and yelled at me, so that's good. <laughs> that is great thing. <laughs> oh, okay. Let's talk about your cookbook, The Edgy Veg. Of course, I f- it makes more sense. I mean, it makes the most sense for you to name your cookbook after your brand. What made you decide to go ahead and just put a lot of the recipes from YouTube and other platforms and put it into a book and also come up with more content? Did a uh, publishing company reach out to you or is this something that was a dream of yours? A little bit of both. You know, I, I thought for years that writing a cookbook was a dream of mine. And then I had a few friends that wrote cookbooks and they were like, ooh. <laughs> like it's so much work. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's a terrible return on the investment. Um, you know, it's more of a resume builder. And so then I kind of gave up on that. And I was like, oh, that doesn't sound great at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I had a publisher reach out. And this was in 2017 when I came out with the first book, which was The Edgy Veg. Mm-hmm. And I wanted it to come out before Christmas. So from we came up with the concept to print was eight months, which is insane. And it was a bit of a, I I suffered some pretty severe burnout for that book. So with the second one, when they came and said, yeah, we want to do a second one. I was like, hell no. (laughs) Yeah. I can see that eight months. Yeah. I was like, absolutely not. Did you talk about the planet during those eight months? Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty. I stopped making YouTube content, which was very, it ended up hurting my brand in the end because then when the book came out, people were like, who? Um, right. So it was I a bit know. of an uphill battle after that. Mm-hmm. But then my publisher was like, well, we, you know, we, we want to give you like at minimum a year. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, that's a good place to start. Um, and then the pandemic happened. And right before the pandemic happened, I still was like, no, 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 I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. And then when the pandemic happened, I was like, well, I have nothing else to do. Yeah. So, <laughs> so as well. Yeah. So for the second book, we came up with the concept of easy eats. So recipes under 45 minutes, only ingredients that you can find at, you know, your typical grocery store. I mean, this is, this does not account for like food deserts, of course, mm-hmm. but for your typical city or town, you'll be able to find most of the ingredients at your typical grocery store. And yeah, they're all 45 minutes or less with, with really easy steps. And that's what I did during the pandemic. And it was fun because I had the time to do it um, as opposed to being really rushed and feeling like the pressure of being under the gun. But yeah, it, w- it was fun. And I had a team this time, which was great. Yes, <laughs> I know. Is that everything for you? I love it. Ugh, mm-hmm. Having that team makes a huge difference. How do you determine what goes into the cookbook? 
Um, is it things that did well on other platforms or just things that you know are always going to be a hit? Because that's a, that's the thing to me that's really overwhelming about the idea of writing a cookbook because most of them have 100 recipes or more. And granted, I know a lot of times it could be sauces and things like that that's counted in that, but it still sounds like a, a big project. It is a big project. It's overwhelming it's to me. So yeah. how do you determine what goes in there? Is it just based on the different sections? You just kind of fill that in. Or do you already kind of go into it knowing what you want in it? A little bit of yes and a little bit of no. <laughs> so in the in both books, they want 10% of the recipes to be recipes that people know and love from the website, but no more than 10%. So, you know, if, it, if there's just 100 recipes, 10 of them are from online. And a lot of the time we choose them based on popularity. So mm-hmm. for the first one, for example... You know, we had the rice paper bacon because that one took off. Yes. Um, a lot of the seitan recipes that I developed in like 2010. Um, and then the second time around were a lot of the super, super easy viral recipes, you know, like a lot of one pot recipes, hacks, um, how to hack like convenience foods, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And then it just kind of comes down to what I'm cooking regularly and what I love to eat. Because there's never going to be a recipe in the book that I don't love. There's certain foods that you'll just never find in any of my cookbooks because I don't like them. <laughs> mm. Okay. What's an example? Tell me. Hmm. What do I not love? I mean, I'm not like a huge – I struggle a lot with like fish-type recipes because I didn't grow up eating fish. Mm. So there's like the typical commercial-type stuff like fish and chips. Mm-hmm. That, you know, I did have and I did like growing up. But there's other things – like I. Uh, tuna, you know, I I had that growing up, but a lot of the more intricate seafood type recipes, I just, I never really had. So they, they don't have that. I don't have the same love for them that other mm-hmm. people might. So mm-hmm. that's probably why you see a lot of like chicken and beef style recipes in my cookbooks and not a lot of fish or seafood. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be exactly why. Yeah. Yeah. I want to know what you're looking forward to. What is what's something in the next year or two that you're looking forward to doing? Your personal life, business, whatever you feel like sharing. Oh, that's a great question. Well, I just moved into my my new spot, so I'm I'm really looking forward to creating a home out of this space for just me and my two dogs. Creating almost like a new beginning. I mean, I think that you know that I lost two dogs last year, so um, just it's just the three of us now again. So creating a space here, but then also nurturing this this new format that we've created with the storytelling. I want to give people the freedom and the strength to tell their stories and, and take these experiences that you know might be very traumatic to them or might feel like something that's you know a dark secret in a closet and be able to laugh at themselves or or tell their story as a way of like healing themselves from different traumas or things that have happened to them um, and cultivating that and nurturing that community again. I feel like I haven't had a community online in years. People were there. People were buying the books. They were making the recipes, but there was no real dialogue. So I'm really, really looking forward to having that repertoire and that dialogue with my audience again. That's definitely something I'm really looking forward to. And just kind of seeing how I can take the the business, the edge of edges of business to the next level. That's a big one for me. I mean, I've, I, I love doing the videos. I have a love-hate relationship with writing books. But there's, <laughs> I want to see, you know, 
I have always had this goal and maybe it's unrealistic, but I want to be able to retire at 45. So my big goal this year is to sit down and really map out how do I take this business to the next level so I can maybe sell it off to someone, maybe have it on my own for the rest of my life, but have it be more of a hobby than a job because I want to retire and I want to buy property in Europe and have animals and maybe a winery. (laughs) You know, those are things that you need time to do. And unfortunately, we live in a world where time just isn't a luxury. So trying to work towards the goal of being able to give myself time again to do things that make me happy. Mm, I love that. Thank you so much. This is so inspiring. It's such a great conversation. Tell us how we can follow you and purchase your books. Yeah, absolutely. So the books are available pretty much anywhere where you can buy a book. Amazon's a great one for all of your international listeners. In Canada, of course, Indigo as well. In the US, Spartans and Noble. And then pretty much on every other platform, you just got to search Edgy Veg or The Edgy Veg. Uh, whether it's TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, we're going to start up YouTube again. So uh, we'll be on there. Yay. And then of yes. course, the, the blog is theedgyveg.com. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Candice, for being on the show. Yeah, I really appreciate our time me. together. Yeah, yeah, I had such a great time chatting with you. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C.